Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and today we've got a really special interview. Um, I've actually wanted to get our guest on for a while now, and uh, we finally got in it scheduled, we finally got connected, and I think if you own a service business that you want to scale, you're going to get some great stuff out of this today. So today I'm talking with Frank Bria. He is an entrepreneurial, uh, he began his entrepreneurial career in uh, financial services technology sector. And he worked with a number of startups there selling, um, you know, some of those selling for hundreds of millions of dollars. And then some, as he, as he says, crashed in flames. Um, but uh, he's worked with some of the largest corporations all across the world, and um, and he's helped them grow grow their business and make a real impact. But now he works with consultants and, uh, and and business owners to kind of pivot away from project based and hourly revenue um, and that old kind of trading time for money game, and into creating productized services where they get leverage and they get freedom. and uh, And he's just very very good about it. Uh, he, uh, he's also the author of the internationally best-selling book, Scale, How to Grow Your Business by Working Less, and he's got uh, three beautiful daughters. And so we have that in common. We're the, the fathers of daughters. So Frank Brio, welcome to The Unstoppable CEO. Thanks, Steve. It's uh, honored to be on the show. And then uh, we can go uh, talk about the, the daughter <laughs> thing uh, later. I like to call mine the drama club. Yeah, so <laughs> when we do that, we'll have to turn it off and I'll get the scotch out. There you go. <laughs> So give everybody a little bit of background, um, just, you know, beyond the highlights that we got in the bio, but, but how'd you get to this stage of your career? Yeah, sure. I, I, uh, I, as, as you indicated earlier, started off in the fintech space uh, with uh, technology startups. So my background is not from a sort of online marketing or digital marketing perspective, but from a multinational and Fortune 500 perspective, those were our clients. Those were the, uh, the the presentations that I that I made. Um, as as you said, and I like to say, you know, we we uh, sold a few, we crashed a few. That's how it goes in tech startups. But it was an amazing experience. Which from that um, from that experience, I was asked to do a lot of consulting in this area for a lot of uh, a lot of corporations, and basically helping them take their uh, services, which were usually consultative or um, non-repetitive, you know, basically they would do something custom for every single client and turn it into a productized offering, which for those companies meant, you know, you, you've got a, a group of 20 or 30 people who are out trying to sell stuff and they're all talking about their own, their own pet projects and, and why it's important. And these companies just weren't able to kind of get their arms around the entire process of what was happening and it was slowing them down. So, I uh, worked with companies all over the world doing that. It was a, uh, it was uh, exciting for a while, <laughs> and then you know, getting on the plane. Every, you know, when they say Frank, we need you in Johannesburg in two days, it starts to become not as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> so, uh, I turned my attention about seven years ago to uh, pivot out of the large corporate space and working with entrepreneurs, which. I thought I was doing primarily to just as a lifestyle choice, but I got to be honest, working with entrepreneurs and, uh, and small business owners is way more fun. It, it just really is. I, dealing with a person who, who actually is going to personally feel the impact of their, 
choices when they make a strategic shift is a lot more exciting than dealing with some, you know, C-level executive whose bonus may or may not be affected by the things that we're doing. And uh, just seeing entrepreneurs make quick decisions, bold decisions, and and reap the benefits of of doing something to improve their business. It's it's just way more fun. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, let's that that's quite a diverse background. And what I like about the way that that you've kind of gotten to this place is you didn't come through the sort of traditional internet marketing kind of coaching machine, consulting machine that's out there right now. Um, I didn't either. And I think the, there's a particular perspective that you have when you've come from um, what I would call the, the, wor- the, the real world of business rather than the virtual world of business uh, that, that gives you a little bit different um, flavor to things. And, and I think it's important. So I, I have to ask you, that, that did not sound at all like uh, a smooth straight line, you know, up and to the right journey. There were probably some challenges along the way. As you've gone through that, what are some of the ways that you found that really help you stay unstoppable? Yeah, it is definitely not been a straight line. Um, look, I think that uh, the power of, of failure is to is to learn, right? I mean, we all we all sort of stumble into stuff that you know maybe is a little uh, you know a little early for our our uh, our stage of development professionally, and therefore we stumble a little bit, or you know things happen that are out of our control. But for me personally, I think the the re- the way that I've been able to get back up and and continue to move is to is you know, and I hate to sound really geeky about this, but it's pattern recognition. Like that, that's just one of my skill sets. And I know, so you're from an engineering background, kind of like I'm from a technical background in you, and I've talked about this before, but I do think that people who can spot patterns, um, recognize, oh, you know what, this sort of happened similarly before. And so, you know, maybe I didn't recognize it at the time that this was actually the same mistake being made, but it really is you know, once I can do that, once I can kind of identify the patterns and see the root cause behind something, then I can kind of go, you know what? Okay. Get up, brush off the knees, you know, get moving again. You know, I'm a human being like anybody else. Like I have my moments where I just, you know, want to kind of curl up in a ball in front of the TV and ignore (laughs) anything that's going on. But, but, uh, you know, once I can identify what's happening, I can identify that root cause, that um, that pattern. Then I'm like, oh, okay, now I've got the knowledge to continue forward. That seems to be my uh, my motivation. Yeah, it's it, it's so important to be able to recognize that, and then once you figure out the pattern, then to be able to consciously apply it. Because sometimes, you know, you you learn those lessons so far in the past that you know you're presented with the situation again. You kind of have to remind yourself, wait, I've seen this and. Yeah, there's a there's a way to do this and a way not to do this, right? Well, um, I, I'm I'm anxious to to kind of dive into uh, the the things that you're doing with clients now because I think they're going to have a big impact on everybody listening. Before we do that, I want to take a quick break, so we're going to be right back with more from Frank Bria. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net, 
forward slash iTunes. You can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. Welcome back, everybody. This is Steve Gordon, and I'm talking with Frank Bria. And Frank, I, I want to dive into the work you're doing now with uh, with your clients. And I think what's particularly interesting about it is you're taking people who are in businesses where they're they're doing you know kind of that that bespoke project based work where everything is custom, or they're maybe working um, you know for for hourly fees. And you're kind of taking them out of that and you're helping them create a business that actually has leverage inside of industries where that isn't usually the case. So t- tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and, and the impact it's having. Right. And we believe really strongly because we've seen uh, over the last couple of years, uh, several years, I've had the opportunity to kind of get inside of a lot of people's businesses and see what's going on behind the scenes, not just, you know, what you look at on Instagram from, from them, but uh, actually what, what's happening, the, the, the tactical issues, the, the uh, process issues, uh, things like that, customer service issues, and, and see what works and what doesn't work. And um, we've been able to kind of pull those together into best practices. And the, the format that we think works really nicely for a productized services we kind of now call a high ticket program. That's just kind of the, the way we describe it. And what's behind a high ticket program in our mind is uh, number one, um, it, it starts with uh, taking an outcome that your client desperately wants and owning it and taking it all the way to its logical conclusion. And a lot of service providers don't do this. A lot of service providers say, well, you know, there's a, a supply chain, if you will, or a value chain that, you know, someone might go through, let's say, from ideation all the way to getting clients. And somewhere in the middle is social media. And so I'm a Twitter person. So I help you keep your Twitter account running. Well, that's just not the end game. You know, it, it's not the, the full uh, the full uh, experience that the client wants. It's not the thing they really care about. So we start off by helping service providers wrap their arms around the entire problem. Uh, they need to take ownership of the actual uh, outcome that the client really wants. And, and that, in some cases, means uh, talking about what you do in a different way. I mean, I'll give you an example. We work with a lot of uh, folks in the personal development space. And there are some amazing, brilliant, uh, transformational people in that space, but they have a very difficult time attracting clients because they typically are speaking in the jargon of whatever thing they do. You know, maybe they have some way to help people, you know, realize their potential or have mindset breakthroughs or, you know, it's leadership training. But again, this is just one piece of the value chain. We end up asking each of our clients as they start with us, what does your client really want? Um, and so many entrepreneurs, especially in the personal development space, will say, well, I want my client to have clarity around dot, dot, dot. You know? right. and, we, and we have to keep telling them, clarity is not an outcome. Okay? You, you don't wake up in the morning and say, I wish I just had clarity. Like Clarity leads to something. You have to take clarity and put it into action. And so we're helping a lot of these service providers put that into action. And of course, that means transforming what you do in a, in a big way. 
and uh, because so many service providers tend to uh, like to work one-on-one with their clients, um, you know, they're going to hit an income barrier. You know, we, we did the, the research in the U.S. Uh, census data uh, several years ago, and in the service business space uh, where there's not a scalable product offering, um, vast majority of people tend to max out somewhere between two hundred and fifty and four hundred thousand dollars a year, and they just don't get past it because they run out of time. I mean, we know this sort of intellectually, but you can see it in the numbers. Um, and so, most of our clients have seen that barrier and are having a hard time get past it because they just don't have the time, they don't know what to do, and they're they're kind of stuck. They're kind of frozen in in their current business model. It's a particular challenge in these kinds of businesses, and uh, you know I'm I'm building my second one of these. My first one uh, was was in a technical field, and the way that we grew that business in terms of revenue because we we were able to get it beyond that th- sort of threshold that you talked about. But the only way that we could do it was, and I think it's the only way to grow in in any kind of a, a service business is you grow it like a pyramid scheme. In other words, if you founded it, you're at the top of the pyramid. And the only way that you're going to be able to serve more people and make more money is you've got to then get two junior people under you. And so now your pyramid's like a little triangle. And then they've got to get four junior people under them and so on and so forth. And two friends invite two friends. And, right. you know, that, that's in, if you look at the traditional uh, professional services, engineering, architecture, law, medicine, that's how they grow. And yeah. Accounting, yeah. major, all the major consulting firms are that way. You know, if you look at the big four accounting firms and their consulting arms, Accenture, Deloitte, you know, they are, they're all structured the exact same yeah. way. Just like you. There's a problem with that though. It's a really unprofitable way to grow a business. So um, in the industry I was in, the, sort of industry benchmark for profitability was 10%. That's horrible. We, yeah. and we were doing really well and we had, you know, increased that by more than about two and a half times, but still 25% profit is pretty bad when you look at product-based businesses that are doing generally much larger margins. And so th- how do you take somebody then and, and kind of get them to see a vision for productizing this, this service that they deliver? Yeah, you, it comes. It comes actually out of the secret of why that's such an unprofitable model. Let's start with that for a second and and break it down because people go, why Why can't you just keep hiring people and keep the same profit margin um, across the organization? What actually happens is when you do the research and you start to take a look at the profitability numbers of those organizations, um, the marginal profitability actually goes down bigger and bigger you get, which is weird because you would think I'm just hiring a cheaper person to do the same work. But what ends up happening is, is you're hiring superstars because you you start that pyramid scheme with you as the superstar because you know what you're doing. And now everyone else has to basically grow up to be superstars. And I'm, I'm afraid to break the news that just aren't that many superstars in the world. And so hiring becomes more expensive. Uh, the mistakes start to get bigger. Uh, the number of people who have to watch over the project becomes bigger and the marginal cost goes up, which is weird because uh, in most business models, as you grow, the marginal cost actually um, goes down. But uh, but that's that's becomes the problem. So anytime you have a process that is sort of built on you as the entrepreneur, which is where all of us start on day one, has to get broken down into its component parts. Because what you can do 
is you can hire and structure around helping people with very particular skill sets. So um, we kind of identified five major ways of delivering services in a scalable way. And if you stick to them, and you can, they're kind of like Legos. As long as you build up your program and your business using these five components, doesn't matter how you put them together, you're going to be fine. Um, and the five are all familiar to us. It's just that we don't think about them as sort of scalable, scalable delivery mechanisms. One is virtual training. We, like, we all know what that looks like. Uh, then we've got masterminds. And by mastermind, I mean like a real mastermind, not like I just wrote my book and I'm going to start a mastermind. <laughs> like a real mastermind is a group of a, a reasonably small group of people who come together to help each other um, set and achieve big goals. So the difference between, say, a mastermind and a group coaching program, which is this, you know, group coaching is sort of the third Lego, is that in a mastermind, you as the entrepreneur are a facilitator and a group coaching program, you, the entrepreneur, are the guru. So you got to move it in and out of those roles. Then you got group coaching, you got done for you services and live events and workshops. So if you can kind of stick to that menu and put your program together in those building blocks with those Legos, um, then you have something that's scalable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think understanding when to move in and out of different ones, I would imagine would be pretty important in, in this process and yes. where to start would be pretty important. Well, in each of those building blocks serves different purposes. They're not completely exchangeable. You know, um, a lot of people come to me and they say, hey, I've got a product and it's not really working very well. And I say, well, tell me about your product. And they say, well, we go to Tahiti once a year and then I have monthly calls. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a product. That's just a set of interactions. Like, you, that's not a product. Um, they, none of those things have purposes associated with them. You know, so, so what we teach uh, folks is that if you're going to get results for your clients, you need to be able to, to provide skills, accountability, and mentorship. You need all three. You can't just do it on skills. Like a lot of people say, well, I'll just teach my clients in video training and then they'll be fine, which is sort of the course mentality. We have a lot of people who just, all you need to do is, is put out a course. That, that doesn't work. Um, people don't learn stuff that way. And if you don't believe me, go get brain surgery from the dude who just read the textbook. Like it's not, it doesn't work like that, you know? So you've got you've to gotta also have mentorship and accountability. And each of those different Lego blocks does different things. Like virtual training is a great way to teach skills. Group coaching, on the other hand, is a horrible way to teach skills. It's a much better way to provide mentorship, allowing people to ask questions or take the skills they've learned and apply it to themselves, right? Um, you, in, if I've got a live event, I'm probably not going to be able to hold you accountable. You're only here for two or three days. I'm going to have to have some other infrastructure to hold you accountable. You know, masterminds are great at holding people accountable because people make commitments to others and then stick to them. So each of these different Legos has different purposes. So when you think through how to provide all these services, it usually does require a bit of a menu uh, in order to span all three of those areas. You know, the probably the first pushback I imagine you get when you're talking with someone about this. I mean, I think everybody looks at the idea of, oh, how can I get leverage and, you know, make more money for less effort? That's really desirable. But there's got to be some skepticism about going from, 
hey, I'm working one-on-one with my clients to I'm now working with them in a group. How am I going to convince them to do that? Right. In fact, there's two major objections that we hear, right? One, um, group is less valuable. So my client, if I tell them I'm going from one-on-one to group, is going to feel like they're being cheated somehow. They're like losing out on something, right? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, well, everybody's different. And if I put everybody together into a group, I'm not going to be sure that they actually get value or get results out of what's going on. So those, those are the two big things. So first of all, uh, the, the idea that somehow working one-on-one is more valuable than in group is a lie we tell ourselves. I mean, and, and by the way, this is, you know, as you addressed earlier, where you and I didn't grow up in this digital marketing space, like almost nowhere else in the world do we actually believe this. Um, you know, I, I ran for a while a peer networking group for uh, CIOs of the top, basically 100 banks in the world. And those CIOs, you know, the C-level of very large corporations, if anybody was going to demand one-on-one time, it would be them, right? No, they don't, they didn't want to sit down and talk to me. (laughs) They wanted to deal with their peers. They wanted to be in a group with everybody else. They wanted to hear all of the different ideas. Like people who are true executives understand the power of network and understand the power of doing something as a group that they couldn't possibly do together. So we kind of have this fake idea that somehow, you know, it's my time that's valuable. But that's because we've given our client nothing else to value. You know, if we, ha- if we design a product and we can't explain how each of the component parts helps them get to where they want to go, then they're going to ask the question, well, how much of your time do I get? Because that's the default, right? We're all familiar with that. We all probably started our career, you know, uh, working at McDonald's or you know, something we were pay- being paid by the hour. So it's a framework we're all familiar with. But in fact, it's not at all accurate or even relevant. So we have to break that mindset from our clients that, no, you don't want my time. My time is actually not the thing you want. The thing you want is the outcome that I'm creating for you. And we've put it together in a different way. So, that, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is that a group dynamic is far more effective than one-on-one for a lot of different reasons, but, but, I'll, but I'll basically give you three. First of all, um, a group program uh, allows group learning. So that, that's the thing that I kind of mentioned with that, with that CIO peer network. I want to learn from everybody who's around with me. I don't want to just learn from the person that I hire. Um, I want to hear great ideas from everybody. That's the first advantage that's there. The second one is for you as the entrepreneur. A group program keeps you on track. One of the biggest problems with one-on-one coaching is that people start to like drift off into all these other things because what ends up happening is your client hops on a call and they say, oh, I have a problem with such and such. And then you dive off into some weird thing, which basically blocks the momentum of the entire program. It's really hard to keep people on track. But if you're in a group program, you've got specific milestones you're trying to hit, specific goals that they need to accomplish. You're going to keep everybody on track. You're not going to be wandering off into weird paths. But the, the third thing and probably the most powerful thing is that a group program uh, 
provides opportunity for your client to teach back what they learned to others. This giving back to community is an incredibly powerful and anchoring concept that we don't use. And we need to engineer it. Like we, it just doesn't happen on its own. But if you're in a group call and someone asks a question and there's someone else there in the group and you say, oh, hey, Jane, you just solved this problem like two weeks ago. Do you want to tell Andy how you did that? Um, sure. Yeah. Let me te- talk back to you. And we, we all know that as far as learning skills and principles goes, that you, you, know, you can just hear it, you can go do it, and then you can go teach it. And by teaching it, we really get something out of that that we wouldn't have otherwise. It really solidifies that concept with us. So it, it can be far more effective to be engaged in a group process um, by leveraging those three areas. I feel like you had a camera in my office about eight, nine years ago. <laughs> and you were um, I used to do one-on-one consulting and that's kind of how I started this business. Um, it finally struck me. I had five consulting calls one day and on four of those calls, I found myself repeating what I'd said on prior calls, right. um, which quickly occurred to me that this was not the best use of my time. Um, but n- nor did it serve the client. So the, the thing that I noticed that day, and I was fortunate to have that experience close together like that is that as I would you know tell one client one thing and they would have a response and they would have a thought or an insight about how to apply that thing, um, the next client that I got on with and I basically told them the same thing, I had to then relay what the first client said, right? So they didn't hear it firsthand, didn't have the impact. Well, then client number two, as they're applying it in their own mind to their business, tells me things that would have been really great for client number one to hear. Right. Right? Well, that that ship has sailed. That isn't going to happen. And that's kind of how that day went. And, um, you know, I reflected on it for several months after that. Um, We ended up launching a, a... a group workshop program, um, all of the one-on-one clients that we had happily moved into that. Um, and I was, frankly, I was a little bit surprised because we were now we're requiring them to fly across the country from wherever they were and meet in Orlando. But it was really interesting to watch the dynamic in the room. Yeah. You know, watch them interact with each other as I would present an idea. It made it tremendously more valuable. Um, and they, and that was their words. They, they'd tell me that, that this was way better than what we were doing before. Right. Yep. That, and that is true across the board. I mean, uh, you know, the experience that you just described happens over and over and over again to people who are doing high valued one-on-one coaching. They, they find themselves repeating stuff. They see the potential for synergies and partnerships among their clients that they can't really leverage. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty common, uh, it's a pretty common experience. So you're normal, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to tell you you're I'm normal. I'm <laughs> accused of that, but thank you. So as you're working with somebody, you know, they're, they're coming from a place of working one-on-one with clients. Um, where, where do you kind of, begin with this process? What's the entry point that they need to begin thinking about? Uh, so it, 
are you talking about a transition from one-on-one practice into kind of a group program? Well, yeah. So, I mean, if they're practicing one-on-one now and, and they say, Hey Frank, I'm a, I want to work with you and I want to get to a point where I've got all the leverage that you talk about and I've got this productized service that it, it's not like you just wave a magic wand and overnight they've got all, right. all of these different models in place. Is there right. a pattern there where it makes sense to kind of go in a certain order? It all really what we recommend is that it starts with understanding your customer journey from, from the top of the house. So the very first exercise that we take everybody through is a customer journey mapping exercise. And, and so that looks like what, if you have your ideal client, these are the people that you want to work with that light you up, you would go on vacation with whatever. Uh, These are your ideal clients and you work with them for three years what do they have in three years that they don't have today? Uh, and, and to get very specific about that outcome, right? Not what did we do over the three years, but what do they have? So it gets very outcome oriented. Um, and then we back that up. Great. So what does that look like in 12 months? What does that look like in 12 weeks? Fundamentally, um, what we see is accelerating milestones at 12 weeks, 12 months, three years, um, they represent fundamentally three different products that a service business should probably offer. Again, there's no one right way to do things. So I'm just talking about best practices in general. But what we see as really effective is to have three products aligned with a 12-week, a 12-month, and a three-year outcome with very different purposes and intents. And the reason that we like to start off with a 12-week outcome is because cold audience who is just buying something from you for the very first time is going to want to see a win, a tangible win as quickly as possible. And if you happen to be in a business building space, you also want to provide them uh, some way to continue to afford to work with you. <laughs> so that win should probably cover, you know, the, the fee to continue to work with you in that 12 month goal. Um, a 12 month goal, that 12 month product uh, is what we call an Ascension product. And that's going to be the source of your regular recurring, monthly recurring revenue, um, which is the critical need for the base of your business model. You need uh, money coming in every single month from a group of, a solid group of clients um, in order to create a really good base. And then finally at the uh, three years, you know, the, and it's a funnel, they're going to be people who drop out a, along the way. But that very last uh, offer we call an inner circle offer, and those are going to be your 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 peeps. You know, that's going to be your tribe. Those are going to be people who would follow you around the world on vacation. You know, and and it's great. So you get to work with them in a very highly intimate way. We don't worry about scale so much in that group because these are going to be a small group of people who pay you a lot um, to get that value for that three years and. Um, if you do it right, and not everybody has to do this, but if you do it right, those are also folks who are aligned to continue to drive revenue in your business. So they're usually referral partners or franchisees or licensees or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and those are going to be the folks that you're going to hang with. Um, so that's usually where we start. We start with that map. And then you have to map your existing one-on-one clients across that journey because they're probably not all in the same space um, and figure out, okay, so where are the most of these folks? Let's launch that product first, get people mapped over and then slowly 
you know, move people off of one-on-one into the new product infrastructure. Um, but, you know, all other things being equal, it's nice to launch that core offer, that first 12-week offer first, uh, because the best possible funnel for an Ascension offer for the 12-month offer is to have a killer core offer where people get amazing value and amazing results. That's how they sign up, you know. It's much easier to uh, upgrade folks than it is to sell new ones. So that, that's usually the framework. Obviously, there's, you know, we, you take a look at each business and the cash flow needs and the expense. Um, you know, for some of our high-end clients, you know, we do cash flow planning as a way of making sure the transition is smooth because you don't want to just, you know, pull the plug on everything and then have all the cash drop out. But fundamentally, that's the end target we shoot for. So there's a, there is kind of a, a best practice model, a structure Yes. That that you're ultimately working towards, and, and uh, right. it sounds like you tailor it a little bit, but but you found that that structure kind of gives them the best of of all possible worlds, right? So um, I, I know we're getting kind of short on time, but I, I am curious as you go through this process now, to what extent does a typical client that you work with then begin to involve other people in delivering the service? Yeah, that's a really good question, and it kind of depends on um, it. De- it depends on what actually that service is. Um, but what I will say is this: um, when we start to create the service model uh, in a product, um, w- we start with essentially the tasks that the client or the tasks that need to get accomplished in order for the client to get their results. Okay. A lot of people, when they design a product, start with content. They say, okay, what lessons can I teach? But that's the wrong way to start. The way you want to start is, okay, any service delivery, all service delivery is essentially a series of tasks. Either your client does them or you or your team do them. And, and you may decide to do them as part of your team in order to speed things through, right? So for example, if you're a a web design agency, you're probably going to design the website. You're not going to teach your client how to design the website, right? Um, Because it's going to speed value. It's going to speed the client through the process. So so first thing we have to do is outline all the tasks and and basically put them in categories. Is this something the client's going to have to do? Is this something that me and my team's going to have to do? Uh, then each of the tasks that falls on our side of the balance sheet need to get broken down into skill sets. There needs to be a very clear delineation of who you need in that role. And if you can't delineate the skill set because it's just like, well, it's me and I do it and I'm really good at it and I've got all these different skills, like that's going to break your business. You, You really have to be able to say, okay, I need a graphic designer. I need a technical person, whatever. Um, so that you can scale, so you can hire people. You can't just hire superstars. It just doesn't work. Um, once you've identified that, it, it's almost like you can write an org chart of, of customer delivery. You know, when, uh, when we help uh, organizations structure their, uh, their people, uh, it, there's really a column in the org chart that's all customer delivery. And so you, you put down the skill sets. You put the boxes on the org chart. Uh, for each of the different skill sets. Now, on day one, you may put your name in all those boxes. <laughs> you may be the chief cook and bottle washer. That's fine. That, that's the way it goes sometimes. But 
at least now we have an idea about where that's going to go and, and who, you know, who we're going to have to eventually bring in. That point, it comes down to understanding the cost of delivery and the percentage of the revenue that's dedicated to those folks. One of the things that, one of the big mistakes that we as entrepreneurs make is when we don't pay ourselves a regular salary often enough, we just kind of like pull cash out of the drawer, <laughs> you know, as it comes in. And when we do that, the problem is, is that we haven't allocated a salary to ourselves for the customer delivery work that we do. Because as a CEO, if you're working with your customers, you're both getting paid to run the business and to deliver client work. One of these days, you're going to have to give up the client delivery piece and turn it over to somebody else. So that means that a portion of the money you would have been paying yourself or grabbing out of the cash register has to go to somebody else. So you got to start thinking about breaking up your compensation that way. So a lot of this has to do with financial modeling, looking at the, you know, how, how much should someone get paid? Um, what's the marginal cost of uh, delivering to a customer and then figuring out uh, what your minimum threshold is, what the minimum break even is to be able to bring somebody in. It's not hard math, but it's math that most of, most of us just don't do. Um, and so, you know, whether you work with a, a coach or your accountant or a CFO or whatever, someone should be looking at your delivery expenses in terms of fixed marginal and understanding what the growth is to kind of cover fixed and uh, bake in the marginal into the overall cost of, you know, what you're charging. Thank you for bringing up the numbers. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no one likes to hear this. This is the part of the podcast where everyone went to sleep. <laughs> this is the part of the podcast where you make money though. Um, yeah, that's true. You, you really do need to know those. Things. Well, but so many of the people that are out in internet marketing land talking about this stuff, it's, you know, they focus on, how you sell these programs, not so much how do you structure them to get results for people, which I think gives you a, a, a really weak foundation, but they also don't look at the reality of, of the business side of it and cash flow and all of that. And, um, you know, I, I know you know this from, from your background and in, in uh, reality-based businesses, um, you know, we had to go through this all the time in my first business. I mean, we had, had a full-time CFO. And we were only a, you know, a small little, you know, between 30 and 50 people, um, you know, depending on, on what year it was. And so we needed all of that to be able to know whether or not it was all going to work and to manage it. And, and I don't see a lot of folks doing that now, but it can really inform your decision making. And I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought all of that up. Yeah, we, we definitely see a lot of businesses wait way too long to start thinking about this. And, you know, I mean, the, you don't have to have a CFO as a solopreneur, but I do think you want to have someone that you can talk to who can break down your business model. I mean, you know, this is, again, for, for our elite clients, this is the first thing we do. In the very first meeting, we build them a cash flow plan. They've never seen it before. And I can't tell you how many times, it started, it's almost comical now, um, where they say, this is the first time I have actually understood my business <laughs> at all. And um, it, it, it's true. Like when, when you sort of break it down and you can start to see how, uh, you, you know, you, you basically run into uh, whether or not you've got a viable business model. New York Times did an article um, 
probably about a month ago, and they listed sort of the top 10 reasons why businesses, small businesses fail. And, uh, you know, I was expecting to see sort of the same list, but the number one reason they listed is because the numbers don't work out. In other words, it doesn't matter how hard you would have worked. It doesn't matter where you would have put your ads. It doesn't matter how much PR you would have gotten. The business model was a failure. And the sad thing about that is that like 95% of the time, you can figure that out on paper before you actually go out and do it. But very few people know how to do that. Very few people can. And so we see people who are stuck in business models that are destined to fail. You know, they, their, their marginal cost to deliver is going to put them in the hole. It doesn't matter how many you, you sell. You know, it's volume is not going to fix it. <laughs> Actually, the problem worse. Um, but these are the things that as entrepreneurs, we tend to not think about. So, so many of us in the digital marketing space, you know, we, we kind of came up as sales and marketing people. And I like to tell people, you know, I'm not a sales and marketing coach. Sales and marketing is what got you into trouble. Right. <laughs> I'm here to try to get you out of that trouble. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's for, for, for those of us who have that background, it's all about the offer. Forget the numbers. It's all yeah. about the offer. Uh, so yeah. just get the right offer. Well, Frank, uh, this has been fantastic. I, I'm so glad that, that uh, you shared what you're doing uh, with us today. Um, you know, these businesses can be incredibly difficult to, to run and, and turn into a business that actually can create some freedom um, for, for the, the business owner. They're easy to start. That's the danger, I think. They're, yeah. they're so easy to start. And you only need one or two clients to begin sort of paying yourself, but then what do you do? And I, I feel like you've kind of got the answer to, to then what do you do? Uh, so how can people find out more about the work you're doing? What's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we t I talked about the research we had done in uh, finding the best practices. We actually put them together in kind of a big manual. Uh, it's about, it's over 60 pages long. We basically put standard operating procedures for how to run a core 12 week program uh, from everything from onboarding to getting customer success to you know what your team should look like and how many meetings you should have and what the agenda of those meetings we really wrote down every standard operating procedure um, that you would need and we put that together in what we call the high ticket program 12 week uh, black book and um, you, you know it's not it's not something you normally if you should go to our website it's not just there so uh, but we you know I'd like to offer it to your listeners for free so they can go to frankbria.com slash black book. Um, and Bria is spelled B R I A. So frankbria.com slash black book, grab that for free or download it. And, um, that has, you know, everything from design all the way through to execution, launch and execution, uh, for a 12 week program that follows kind of what we see as best practices. Well, that's really generous. Thank you. And, uh, for everybody that, that is listening and driving, we'll, we'll make sure that gets into the show notes so you can find it. Uh, just don't share it. Everybody be quiet. It's just for us. Okay. <laughs> so Frank, thanks again. This has been a lot of fun. Um, well, we're well overdue for doing this and, and we'll have to bring you back and dive into the topic a little bit deeper. Thanks, Steve. It's been an honor. Thanks for spending time with me today. This episode of the Unstoppable CEO podcast is sponsored by the Unstoppable Agency. That is the agency part of our business where we work with professional service firms and create a done-for-you marketing program. And what that looks like is we actually sit down with you. We 
come together and define your ideal client with you. We go build a list of those people and then we begin reaching out to them on your behalf to book them as guests on your podcast. We call it podcast prospecting and it's a fantastic way to connect with potential clients and influencers that can refer you and it's end-to-end a done-for-you system. And so if that's something that you think might be the right fit for your business, go to our website, go to unstoppableceo.net. You can uh, find there on the homepage a link to a video presentation that explains how it all works. And if you'd like, let's get together and have a quick 20-minute conversation and see if we're a fit. Again, that's at unstoppableceo.net. Right on the homepage, look for a link to the video that explains how it all works.